live from the Sopoli Beautific Hills of Encino, California, where industry and nature work hand in hand to create a better life for all of us. I feel so inspired now. Following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network, including but not limited to Outlaw Radio <laughs> and errorfm.com slash live. Uh, true Crime Uncensored. I am the legendary Burl Bear, Howard Lapidus, manager to the star. He's not here today. He's at a convention of the International Zionist Conspiracy. And, the market and, weren't invited. and I would have been there, too, if I'd gotten an invite. No, I didn't get an invite. I still haven't got my check. <laughs> Mark had a great idea. There's a, a website that says that Outlaw Radio and Burl Bear and Don Woldman and uh, Fred Wolfson are all part of a uh, Saudi Arabian royal family George Bush neo-Nazi conspiracy. I want to get that guy on the show. <laughs> Hi, this is George W. Bush Hi, George. with Magic Matt, a.k.a. Mr. Cigar. <laughs> yeah, thanks, George. I got a brain transplant waiting for you. Glenn, Glenn, you, you ex-con, you felon, you. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, how do you pronounce your last name? Do you know? Do you remember? How do you pronounce my last name? Yeah. If if you're a Mexican prison guard, long whore. Yeah. If you're if you're just a normal person, Langor. Langor. So we'll call you long whore. <laughs> <laughs> you were in prison on drug charges for ten years. That's too long to be in jail for drug charges. I'm telling you, man. And especially when you're white. I thought that only happened to other people. No, well, it's supposed to. I mean, that's the way the plan is. <laughs> Remember back in uh, what was the 1950s? Doctor Timothy Leary, before he was infamous, uh, was doing uh, uh, prison recidiv- recidivism reduction studies. Yeah. And. Uh, he comes to the, the warden and says, we, we've got this plan, and it really seems to work. We think we can reduce the uh, return rate of the prisoners. And, uh, you know, this this new program. And the, the warden stops and goes, come here, let me show you something. This is the plan for the new prison, <laughs> which is larger and employs more people. It's like any other business. We want repeat customers. Don't yeah. screw with it. True. So how How'd you wind up doing 10 years for drugs? Um, when I was about 12 years old, I ran away from home. To fast forward it real quick, I was very aggressively angry at the whole world. Um, a pot smuggler took me into his garage, and I was uh, a little pot dealer. He had a big garbage can full of it, and um, I went to the border of Mexico to secure an even bigger dealer so I could deal to him. And by the time I was 18, the uh, law enforcement caught up with me, seized like 30 grand on my pod, even grow lights, and I was even more mad at the world. Mm-hmm. So I got involved in speed to uh, make my money back. That was smart. Yeah. Genius idea there. Yeah, you had a need for speed. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I used to, to call that cheap Mexican crank, they used to call that. Oh, man. I went to San Bernardino and got, like, the best speed cook there was. Tried to arm wrestle him away from the bikers, the yeah. Mexican mobsters out there, and never really succeeded at that, but I, I did get decent at collecting and gathering and the police uh, again seized all my money, got really mad at me. and uh, <laughs> They do that. They do. <laughs> Damn, man. Well, that's the problem, see, with speed, as I've heard people say, is that all the old bikers are either dead or in jail. <laughs> yeah. no, no one remembers how to make it right. I'm telling you. <laughs> That's well, Brian Cranston might. Yeah, Cranston, yeah. Lamont Cranston, too. He's shadowing him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a reference that shows my age. Yeah. So uh, you wind up at doing 10 years yeah. in California state prisons. Now, that, no, but even when I was a kid, I'd watch prison movies and they'd have names like Crime School. Yeah. And I think, well, this doesn't make sense. A penitentiary, I looked it up. Penitence. That's when you feel bad for what you've done. <laughs> 
how the hell is this place supposed to make you penitent? Yeah. Uh, it seems like you take a bunch of criminals and put them together in one place and just let them be as criminal as hell. Yeah, now that I'm doing my uh, audio books, now that I'm uh, doing my audio books, I'll, I'll tell you what happens. You stick them all together and you, you overcrowd them in one little place. And you expect them to get along and, and decide on who can use the showers, which bars, uh, then give them a little bit of dope and uh, give them enough stuff to make wine. And then you got the no warning shots fired, and then you got the uh, you got riots every day where they're going, get down, 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 buck guns coming next, boom, get down, down, down. Live rounds, that's happening like more often than it's not. And when it's not on your yard, you're hearing it on one of the other yards. So it doesn't sound like a very smoothly run system to create penitence and remorse. Yeah, and to prepare people for life on the outside. Yeah, you go in with a little <laughs> drug addiction or you know poverty affliction or whatever, and you come out worse. Well, yeah. So what's the big? I mean, it's it's become an industry. Yeah, yeah, it has. Why wasn't it? Well. Yeah, that's the point. Someone's making money. But now that they're trying to do that thing of, of uh, privatizing it, like down in Arizona where it turned out the governor had a piece of the action. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. That uh, gets really strange. Let me get a little quick introduction here. You're the author of seven books, Roll Call, Upon Release, Race Riot, Lockup Diaries, Gladiator, Underdog, Prison Riot. Uh, how does a, a, a nice... A nice druggie, <laughs> a nice druggie like you, who's obviously a smart entrepreneur, a go-getter. I mean, well, there you are in the cosmic slammer. You don't even look Mexican. No. And you wind up in the middle of a war and a prison riot between rival Mexicans. Am I correct? You're correct. Um, I was in Northern California. It was uh, late 90s, and they. I just, I just fought a life sentence case. Basically, Orange County hyped up a lot of... A lot of things, and uh, I, I ended up uh, in the county jail for a couple years before the case got uh, down to a level where I took a deal. And uh, I ended up in Northern California at Solano State Prison, and it's it's basically a northern intake. It's like one of the three or four prisons in California that's mostly Northern Californians. So it was basically all black inmates and all Northern California Mexicans, and very few Southern Mexicans, and even fewer uh, white people from Southern California. So as it's not very, too many surfers, not as not enough surfers, not enough, not enough beachgoers. We need to bust them in. Yeah. So uh, interesting is the guy I hung out with was like he looked like Dolph Lundgren from the Rocky movies, and he's from San Francisco, a giant white guy. I'm not small, but I'm not as big as this guy. I I, I penned his name Giant right there, and we were road dogs, and we kicked it with some Southern Mexicans because that's you know the showers we used. We used the same workout bars. It's just the lay of the land in there. And they ended up getting outnumbered in an out-of-control riot. And due to kicking it with them, we kind of liked them, and we felt obligated to not watch them get, uh, you know, jumped on 30 to 10 type, type thing. It took a day and a half to get to the hole, and I lived through it. And uh, when we got to the hole, they put – there was. It, it took a day and a half to get there. There were so many people involved, building by building, like a domino. And when we got there – the place was on state of emergency, and so they were just trying to categorize who was who so that when they let us out for showers, they wouldn't uh, let the wrong cells out at the same time. So, so they, they wouldn't put, kill each other. Yeah, so they put SM on all the cells that they thought were southern Mexican <laughs> and NM, northern Mexican, on all the cells they thought were northern Mexicans. Red for NM, blue for SM. And they put they put that on our cell. Well, I'm yelling up to the top tier going, hey to the white dudes up there, hey, can you send us some tobacco down? 
and they'd come out of the cell and go to the yard, and they'd look, and they were looking at us like we were Chinese or something. We're like <laughs> waving at them and stuff. They come back and they're yelling at us through the fan. It says you're Southern Mexicans. Are you guys sure you're white? I'm like, Hell yeah, I'm sure I'm white. <laughs> I know. I noticed that one point you talk about that that uh, uh, you mentioned getting off the bus at a new prison, being put in a cell with a Southern Mexican, oh, having to man. tell him, "Look, I'm sorry to disturb yeah. you." Yeah, 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 totally. Please don't tell me any of your politics. Who you're going to kill today? I don't want to know how you're dealing with the with the cartel. I don't want to know that. Yeah, and they did, man. They left us as Southern Mexicans the whole time we were in the hole. The next prison they sent me to, they immediately put me in the hole again, like they were trying to figure me out. And man, I'm white. I don't have any tattoos, and they all—they were all about trying to label me uh, everything I wasn't. So, well, it could have been worse. What Geronimo Pratt did—what, 27 years in uh, solitary? In the, yeah. And the whole and within the FBI writes him a check for 16 million. Oh, we framed you. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Things aren't, you know, this is what I couldn't figure out watching the, these prison movies as a kid. You get arrested, you did something wrong, you're supposed to be punished and rehabilitated. Put you in with a bunch of hardened criminals. Yeah. And then it seems like the criminals run the place, except they don't run the exterior, but they do the interior. Right. Well, how, how, how is that? Okay, <laughs> well, see, you, you mentioned all my books, except that there's a couple follow-up ones that, I'm, that I've already put out, and I'm working on the last one. I finished my time up at Centinella, which is on the border of Mexico. And by the way, right there in Imperial Valley, by the way, I was listening to the Mexican radio station over there straight up telling us, FAM Baja California, and they tell us that you can have an ounce of dope. You just can't bring it to the sporting events or sell it. I'm like scratching my head going, they're locking everybody up in California, but over here you can have an ounce of dope. Anyway, back to what you were saying. The inmates do run the yards, and the prison guards allow it to happen and try to steer it a certain direction. Well, like a white guy will be working inside the program office, typing up all the reports, helping us do bed moves so that we can, like, put, put the right people in the right buildings and, you know, just look out for each other. So it, so it is like that to where the inmates have, especially on the level three, level four yards, the, 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 the cops don't want to get stabbed, so they, they do things to keep everything going. They'd rather us fight each other than... Now, how, how do people get stabbed? They don't issue you knives in there, do they? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, they, they, if, if they have a welding, if they have a welding uh, area, the welding rods are perfect knives that actually fit right in the vent. Put them on a little string, and they slide right through the vent. Um, the, the most deadly weapon you can make in there is uh, a, a razor. You'll cut a big pen in half. And you'll bite down on the big pen on the empty part. You'll take everything out of it so it's just an empty cylinder. And you'll bite down on it enough that razors will slide in it and hold. And then you can stick the cap back on it and put it up your butt and bring it to yard if you need oh, to. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Excuse me. We're going to have a fight. Let me reach up my ass. <laughs> <laughs> bend over, squat, and pop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can expel that thing. <laughs> exactly. It's a missile. Yeah. You know, there's, there's just That's going to be a problem weapon. for the gay guys. It gets too loose and just falls out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do your deep knee squats. You're fighting that speaker up. <laughs> That's right. It's a matter of survival. Well, if you forget it's up there and you got to wipe. You know, yeah, you oh, just... yeah. You could cut your hand off. I'm Jeez. telling you. I mean, it just doesn't seem rational. I mean, it doesn't seem like a society that wants to rehabilitate the wrongdoers I'm wouldn't put them in a place where they're stabbing each other and yeah. uh, beat the crap. What's, what's up with this? In the 1960s, when it was free love, free drugs, you could do dope. And, 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 and there wasn't all these prisons. You only went to prison for serious stuff. 
Now those guys turned into politicians that created all these drug laws, and now everybody's going to jail for petty-ass drug crimes. Well, sure, because that way they can build more prisons and uh, yeah. get more money. and yeah. It's an industry. And, and and they can look like they're, they're strong on crime. Yeah. yeah, tough on crime platforms suck. They're not smart. No, no. Well, there's a, there was a big study done here in, uh, in California on uh, where people get their news. It's like 84% get it from television. And then it went, how accurate is it is television on portraying what the actual crime situation is in California? Yeah, yeah. And it was totally complete BS. It is. And you'd have Absolutely. politicians say, we got to take back the streets, the crime. And in reality, the crime has been going down, especially yeah. youth crime. Yeah. It's been like a 35-year decline, and youth are more likely to be victims of crime than perpetrators. Yeah. But yet, most people think it's just the opposite. Yeah. So, so, so back to what I was saying. I ran away at 12 years old because I couldn't handle the divorce, whatever, and I was more of a victim than, than anything. And, you know, the, the society was never there for me, so it's like, it's like that with a lot of people. So it's like... The, we're targeting the wrong people, man. Well, so the uh, the war on drugs has been a great boon for the prison industry. Yeah, absolutely. Hasn't done much for anything else, has it? No. Do you think it's uh, made the problem even worse? Absolutely worse. Much, much, wor- much worse. All those killings in Mexico, fighting over gringo money. Um, in prison, I mean, basically you stick people in prison and uh, they, they get tattooed down. They join a gang. You know, it's a pressure deal. And uh, so, so that's what we're doing. We're taking somebody with an addiction. Maybe, maybe it's uh, Sally's, Sally's, Sally, the soccer mom's son named Scott. He's out here in Orange County or L.A., and he's addicted to uh, painkillers because, you know, all the kids are teaching him how to go get the painkillers. Pretty soon he ends up doing heroin because the painkillers aren't as good as the heroin. And then he goes to prison, and Sally's, skin, Sally's son, Scott, ends up becoming a skinhead. Yeah. You know, he just, he's just going to blend in and get tattoos or whatever. He, he we have the makings of a new tongue twister. Yes, yeah, yeah. uh, Sally's, uh, Sally's son. Is, uh, uh, Scott's uh, skin. <laughs> Sally's son. See, that's five times fast with a razor up your ass. Okay. Yeah, no. now, yeah, stick this up your butt and take it to yard, kid. <laughs> now, now, here it seems to me that you get wind up with all these, uh, it's not exactly a multicultural uh, interactive situation. Yeah. You got, uh, you know, the northern Mexican, the southern Mexicans, yeah. you got the skinheads who hate the Mexicans and hate the blacks, yeah. and then you get the blacks who are uptight, except then you get the, the black Muslims who are trying to the, yeah. trying to pray over in the corner, then you got the Orthodox Jews who are getting beat up because they want something <laughs> kosher, and, and then you got the born-again Christians, and they're trying to convert the, the other ones, and they're beating the crap yeah. out of them. Don't so, forget about the Crips and the Bloods, and, oh, well, and the, they know, the, fight each other a lot, too. Well, then they figured out that the red and blue make green. If they work together, they make more money. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it's not kumb- It's not everybody sitting in a circle singing Kumbaya. And no, it doesn't sound like it at all. <laughs> no, there, were, there are lots of studies done. This is, amazes me, is that the, the gap between what we know and what we do is so vast. Yeah. It goes back years. They took two rival gangs, right? Yeah. And they, they put them back in this cabin up in God knows where. And they, they, they thought, well, if we put them in the same space, they'll get along. No, they don't. Uh-uh. And then they came up with the idea of, let's tell them this massive lie that the dam has broke and we're all going to drown. (laughs) And immediately they had to work together to stop the dam from bursting to kill them all. That made the difference. Is when they worked together on a common goal, all that prejudice stuff went out the window. Now they've known that for about 40 years. Do they implement any of this strategy? No, they still stick them together and... uh, no, they want they want the inmates fighting because it's less uh, against them. If everybody unites against them, 
things get done. So they like they like everybody fighting each other. In fact, I, I, while I was at Sentinella, they were stirring up the pot so that the race riots would keep happening. Uh, the blacks and Mexicans were at war for years while I was up, while I was over there, and they literally kept the race wars going. Uh, yeah, it's pretty bad, and they get paid time and a half hazard pay while the yards locked oh, down. Oh, so they make more money if yes. things are bad. Yes, and they can manipulate. They can manipulate their hours because, like, when you're on lockdown, you'll just work double shift, triple shifts. You'll you'll work your butt off nonstop. Get that overtime. Get all that, and then take ten days off and go party on on whatever you're going to party on out there. So you so you guys are just pawns in a larger game. Yeah. So yeah, you can <laughs> see what's going on. And as a matter of fact, though, a lot of the, it was pretty cool getting diplomatic with, you know, the head people of each race and ironing things out and stuff like that. So it's like there there is there is a lot of respect and a lot of ironing stuff out. It's just there's drugs in there. I mean, oh, of the, course, because the guards bring it in. Yeah, the guards definitely bring in the tobacco because it's real. It's a good hustle if you have tobacco in there. And yeah, there's there's the same issues, mental issues, drug addiction issues. Well, yeah. Plus, if people have uh, many mental illness and they're sent to prison instead of a mental hospital, exactly. no, no, no one's getting meds in there. No, uh, uh-uh. I mean, uh, 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 Charlie Manson, the paranoid schizophrenic, has never been given meds the entire yeah. time he's been in there. Yeah. Same with uh, lots of other people I know who are nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it uh, just gets worse all the time. Uh, you mentioned your book, this thing, and I'd never heard about this. The California state prisons have uh, these block guns, so they're not, like, shooting live rounds at you? Yeah, see, the way it's supposed to be is if they see somebody stabbing somebody and killing somebody, they can shoot you with a live round. But the, the, here's, the, here's what usually happens. Like, the Mexicans have, like, a rule that they're not going to stop fighting until the block guns have gone off. So the whites aren't – I mean, I'm not going to say who's smarter or not, but we're, we're, we do it differently. If we can get away with something, we're going to get away with it. We don't have to show the whole yard that we're that badass that we're just going to keep fighting until the block guns go off. But the block guns are projectiles that shoot uh, um, like wooden corks. And at close range, they they do a little bit of damage. They're not going to kill you. They'll put a big old, like, welt on your head. But they're more for effect on noise, like, boom, boom. And you can literally hear them run it. You can hear them on other yards. Every time a yard goes down... You'll hear the same thing. You'll hear the alarm going, bruh, bruh, bruh. and then you'll hear like you'll hear feet, and you'll hear keys, and then you'll hear like get down, get down, get down, down, and then you'll hear the boom. And then if it doesn't stop, that's when you're going to hear them yelling, "Live rounds coming next!" And then you'll hear the pew from the live round. So that's that's daily life on a level three, or level four yard. Oh, that just sounds the, like so restful. Yes, Mark. For the, for the uneducated. Um... A yard is an open space within the the uh, prison compound. Yes. And there's not necessarily a central yard where a lot of people might identify uh, Shawshank Redemption, where they only had one place to congregate. That's not the case. There's multiple yards. Yeah. So so let's say Sentinella Prison or Calipatria Prison or even Pelican Bay Prison, uh, Salinas Valley, Folsom, all these different prisons, they'll have four yards. Corcoran, for instance, has like eight or ten yards. So, and, and the higher level they are, there's no blind spots. So let's say one yard, some of them will have many yards for each for each little building. So, just for, just to give you an understanding, like uh, one yard, like the yard I was on, D-yard at the end at Sentinella, had five buildings, and the yard was about the size of a, a, a 
440-meter track. And inside that were different areas where people would congregate. And, like, the white people were so outnumbered, we only had about 8% of the population, and we had one table on the whole yard. So we would have people sit at that table. We would meet and greet there. The, the, where we'd work out were the uh, workout bars and stuff. We'd, we worked out with the southern Mexicans. So it's already kind of established where people are going to go and where they can work out, which showers you can use, which part, you know, the blacks would hold down this part of the yard, the Mexicans most of this part of the yard. Like you were saying earlier, uh, Christians, uh, you know, different, different people, Muslims, they'll have these uh, bleachers type stuff. So it's all broke down into little fragments like that. My microphone just, there we go. Uh, it must be difficult for people in the prison. You always hear about people, you know, finding God in prison. I didn't know he'd been arrested. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, either they they become uh, born-again Christians or they become uh, Muslims or they yeah. become Orthodox Jews or whatever yeah. to get them, you know, to get them through this experience. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, I know one guy I wrote a book about, you know, was very uh, active bringing people to Jesus in prison. Awesome. And and uh, the minute he was out, psh, that was gone. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. You know what? <laughs> That's, that's one of the hard things. It's like I, I'm a believer, and one of the hard things is that, you know, when you're in there, you, it's like you're in meditative mode. You know, when you're locked down, you're on a shelf 23 hours a day, 24 hours a day, sometimes for months at a time. So that's a time where you can reflect, go over your life, get close to God, you know, whatever your, whatever your belief system is. And, you know, and, and some people do hide behind that in there, and that's what, that's what makes it even harder, like, to uh, – you know, to, to, it, so basically, you're in there. It's basically the rule of thumb is, hey, you were a criminal to get here, and you got to abide by criminal rules to live here. So ah, no, copping, no copping out. You know what I mean? You go ahead and be a Christian, be a Muslim, but when the whole race is getting attacked by that other race, you better have our backs, type thing. You know? What Otherwise, I mean? they're going to come get you. Yes, absolutely. So that must be very difficult for a peace-loving person, whatever their <laughs> persuasion, whether they're Jewish, Muslim, Christian, or, or pedestrian. That's walking their own path. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when someone tells you if you don't participate in this violence, you're going to get nuked. Oh, big time, big time, and it's just pretty much everybody is participating because of that, every, and every race polices their race like that because it's basically you know that's that's your little bit of protection that's why it's that's another reason it's breeding bigger problems because that right there creates gangs and race and race uh, race stuff you know well so it doesn't exactly sound like it's a healthy alternative to anything <laughs> no and there's no rehabilitation like what we were saying is like like the people like on at sentinella they had uh they had they had welding they had the welding place but the welding place Either the guy that's the free staff that's helping people learn a trade decides he doesn't want to show up for work for a while. So what does he do? He he mis he misplaces some of the uh, welding rods or some of the uh, utensils that could be uh, made into knives. And now all of a sudden the place is locked down. The place is going to get searched. Everybody that was working that job is now fired, and they're going to have new people come in. So like people that are trying to learn a trade can't stay in the trade very long because every time there's a there's a shakedown. Or something happens, every, they just keep redoing it. So there's really no rehabilitation on the higher level yards. I mean, if you're on the low level yards where you can go to a fire camp, yeah, you might have got something out of that. But on the level three, level four yards, you're not really you're surviving day to day. What does the lesser de level designation represent? Okay, so let's say that you're you just went to prison for the first time in your life, and you got two or three years. You're going to be a low level person. Um, and you're going to go to like a fire camp. You're going to actually go somewhere where it's not going to be quite as crazy, although some of the level one yards have crazy riots where people die. So, um, but bottom line is <clears throat> the length of time, the length of knucklehead, 
if they've if they've decided you're a gang member or if you've had you know a bunch of riots or a bunch of fights or just that kind of stuff raises your point level so length of time let's say that you you're getting a big sentence based on that they're going to give you your points your points are going to go up and it's a point system to go from level one level two level three level four so the higher the level the more hardened they consider you to be yes yes but here's the crazy thing it's better to be level three or level four because then you have privacy you have your own cell i mean would you want to do your time in um an overcrowded gym environment where you have bunks Everywhere. I mean, you stick, try to imagine sticking 140 people inside of a gymnasium where you can shoot baskets and everybody shares four or six toilets and four or six showers. No, thank you. I'd much rather be level three or level four where you're in a cell where you have privacy. You have that solitude to get away from everything and read your books and write your books. And it, sounds like, it sounds like it's more of a, uh, an army barracks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the lower levels are like an army barracks where it's like super polluted with noise, super polluted with movement. If you have ADHD like me, you just, you just won't sleep. There's too much movement. Now, uh, we had a very interesting guest on the program about a month or two ago. Uh, another fellow who spent a long, long time, 25 years for stealing 100 bucks, I think. Oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, he wrote a book on uh, America's prison systems and just how screwed it was. Yeah. And one thing he talks about a great deal in his book, and I'm sure you experienced this, is the... Uh, uh, Department of Corrections officials mislead the public into thinking that inmate civil rights are protected by an elaborate system of checks and balances. And the public affairs personnel and prison systems across the U.S. are directed by DOC advisors to present a rosy picture of correctional, correctional systems uh, that in 99% of publicly run state prisons, there's no swimming pools, no air-conditioned cells. Uh, no shrimp dinners, no personal televisions, uh, no sexual visits, and if you try to file a grievance, you're screwed. Yeah, well, yeah. See, what I like about the uh, what I like that's happening right now is the the Pelican Bay prisoners started that hunger strike to bring attention. They, you know, basically that's the peaceful way of you know, getting the public involved. And what they've done is they've shined a light on a lot of issues. One of them has to do with the, the faulty validation process of sticking people in solitary. Um, and all the other issues you're mentioning are all coming out. The book I wrote, Underdog, remember how we were talking about prison riot, how they assumed I was a southern Mexican right. just for being it? Well, they never really, you know, decided to say I wasn't. And then at the next prison, they were trying to say I was uh, a sleeper for the Aryan Brotherhood or <laughs> a Nazi lowrider. And I'm like, man, I'm white. I don't have one tattoo. I, I'm a decent drug. I'm not even a good drug dealer anymore. I'm here. <laughs> I can give you my credentials. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. tell you my supplier don't, don't was. Add, don't Listen. add all that onto it. But so I wrote Underdog to shine a light on, on how, you know, just going through one riot, they can get everything misconstrued and like what you're saying right there when you file grievances that's your other issue of going to solitary confinement as soon as you're a pain in the butt where you're a, a inmate lawyer in there and you're helping people file those grievances it's called a 602 process mm -hmm. and you'll have to refile it over and over again until it's like you know all the way to sacramento and has all the uh you know everything's been copied and proven and certified mail and all that stuff to where they can't keep throwing it away on you which they'll do early on in the process so it's like once they realize you are a pain in their butt, they can stick you in solitary, and they, they get away with it. There is no court of law that decides if you should stay in solitary or not. So because you can that's, stay in there until you're rot. Yeah, exactly. So that's one of the ways that people are getting targeted and put in solitary. And I'm glad that that hunger strike is getting a lot of media involved. I wrote a book uh, a day after Christian Gomez died. I published it a day after Christian Gomez died in a peaceful hunger strike at Corcoran. 
all, all fighting for these rights that I'm, that I'm mentioning that I'm always touching the, the tip of the iceberg on. Well, I'll tell you, there was uh, an example. Now, I'll quote this because I think that you'll probably relate to this. In this one particular prison, the, the, uh, when they were giving them their food, they weren't giving them what they were supposed to. They were hardly giving them any food at all. Yeah. Uh, and it was an ongoing, everyday problem. And so uh, the prisoners you know, wrote a grievance request. And they said, here's the remedy. That food service uh, director investigate this issue and enforce the menu portions amounts. And the response was, master menu served as written in both quality and quantity denied (laughs) no no, we're not going to feed you (laughs) i mean it's just nothing it's just total indifference and i guess it's about three ways that they obstruct you either they they just you know bs you with uh putting in all sorts of official sounding terms that don't mean anything yeah you know we've we've reviewed uh at higher levels your request to not be beaten (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and now we're gonna now we're gonna launch up and beat your ass in your cell yeah. and do a cell extraction on you too. Yeah, and then yeah. the other way is beat the crap out of you. Yeah. So it doesn't do much good. Now, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what a cell extraction is like. This is this is an ugly situation. Is that why they pull happens. the razor out? <laughs> yeah. This is while you're in the hole and they're not feeding you or they're 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 freezing you out or they're not giving you your yard. You're supposed to get yard uh, ten hours a week. Uh, uh, otherwise, it's cruel and unusual. Supreme Court ruled on this. There's a bunch of reasons why. They'll, they'll take all that away from you, and there's nothing you can do. Try to file paperwork, man. It might be a year before you end up getting it anywhere anyway, and you're talking about now. I haven't been to yard or showered in two weeks, three weeks. I'm going insane. Well, when you stand up and you, you, you as, as one, and this is where all the inmates unite together, black, white, Mexican, everything, and you'll end up doing what, what you call boarding up your cell, where you're just sick of it. You're just done with it, and you've you know, sent your information to all the other races. And boarding up your cell means closing off your cell so they can't do the count. Well, they, the count goes into Sacramento every day at like 4 o'clock and earlier, earlier in the day. So when you board up your cell, now they're going to bring um, gas masks, shields, and they'll walk it in on like this big dolly, and it's pretty scary looking. They'll have their block guns, so it looks like a bunch of... Uh, Monsters in 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 in, sh- in shields with masks and gas and all this stuff, and then they'll flood your cell with it, and you're sitting there wrapped up in your mattress against the cell, holding, trying to hold them off for as long as possible to keep the gas and pepper spray from coming in, and so that's the kind of stuff that happens when the uh, where where there is no uh, appeal process. So, the, so they, then they finally come in and they gas you and they tear the thing down and beat the crap out of you? Beat the crap out of you. And at Pelican Bay, they were tying people up to the, the toilets and stomping their heads in and, like, bragging about it. And it, there's, there's a lot of stuff that came out over there about that stuff. You know, we, the American public gets rightfully outraged when they hear about these uh, horrible uh, things that are done to prisoners in other countries by, or, yeah. or by us. If they knew yeah. that the same Absolutely. stuff was going on every day Absolutely. right here at home, Absolutely. they would be furious. Yeah. But they don't know. Yeah. I mean, my, there's first, even, my, first uh, novel, my first novel, Roll Call, big, thick novel, the... Uh, New York reviewed it, Kirkus Discoveries. It said a harrowing, down-dirty depiction, sometimes reminiscent of Soderbergh's traffic of America's war on, war on drugs by former dealer California Slinger. I put the prison union in check right there, the CCPOA. I put them in check because they were using terror tactics in the 90s related to that three strikes law. And I, un- I uncovered the whole thing, where the money came from, to, to put Schwarzenegger's face up there lying to the public that child molesters, rapists, and murders will be released if this law changes. And all the law was going to change was it was going to start ta- targeting the right people and give relief, give relief to uh, petty theft with a prior and certain residential burglaries. 
so I, I, I enjoy putting the prison union check and opening. Yeah, but who? But you know, all the people who. You know, I always have the feeling that the people who read this stuff are people who are interested in this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and the people who, if they knew about it, if it was like on the CBS Evening News, Americans tortured daily in Americans' <laughs> prisons, you know, they'd poop bricks. Yeah. But uh, it, it just doesn't happen. No, you know what we get instead? We get, oh, the crime rate's up. Oh, they're going to have oh, to release BS. a bunch of prisoners. Oh, the my God. crime rate's been on a 35-year decline in America. Uh-huh. It was I just know. in the Daily News. Yeah, yeah, Today. absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> but watch what they're, they're already saying, that the crime rate's going to go up because California's got to let 10,000 inmates out. California's got to let 10,000 10, inmates out, and it's still going to be over capacity by, by a big percentage than what it's supposed to be. And well, they gotta they let them out. They, they gotta uh, let them out because they weren't given a medical attention. And oh a, no, you can't get you can't get medical days. attention in prison. That's one of the first things that was cut in the budget yeah. was medical care for prisoners. Check it out. Check it out. I had back surgery while I was in there. It took me about six months for them to take me to the hospital. My leg went paralyzed. I had to stay down in the yard, lay down in the yard, and not get up to make them take me to the hospital. I was in excruciating pain for months. My leg went paralyzed from, sci- uh, from a flip disc. Yeah, sciatica. I had a disc come all the way out for months, man. I was in so much pain. And I finally got to the outside hospital. When I got to the outside hospital, they did excellent work from there. But they just aren't giving you medical attention, man. You have to literally lay down in the yard uh, and say, people I'm dying. It's, it's a fact. We've discussed this on the program before. And I've talked to uh, attorneys in Texas. It's really horrible. Yeah. People are dying. Dying. For, Absolutely. from illnesses that can be very easily treated. Yep. If they were on the outside, you give them some penicillin or some tetracycline, they're okay. Yep. But in prison, you're looking at death. Yeah. Man, the bottom line is stop throwing people in prison for petty drug crimes, for petty crimes. Stop doing that. That's not. That's overinflating the system. Of course they can't take care of everybody. You've overinflated the effing system. Stop sending them to prison for petty crimes. So what do you do with them instead? Just send them, you, you, make them go to, you make them go to the drug programs. You, you, you teach them a trade. You, you make them pay the money back that they stole times seven like they used to in the Bible. You do other things. But you know what, what, what is problematic in California with the drug court laws is let's say that uh, instead of sending you to the cosmic slammer because you were selling dope, which is like, say, if you were selling pot, yeah. in Washington, that's now legal. Yeah, it's legal now. I want my money back yeah. that seizure a long time ago. <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, but the stipulation is it doesn't replace going to prison. They can still send you to prison. Yeah. Even yep. after you you uh, be a good uh, good boy or girl and uh, uh, go to some twenty eight day uh, spin dry rehab that doesn't yep. address any medical issues, and that's another problem. I'll just throw this at you: there are at least at least thirty six treatable medical conditions other than alcoholism that have a craving for alcohol as one of the symptoms. Yeah. And so without doing a medical diagnosis, just because someone's, you know, compulsively drinking, mm-hmm. all they say, well, you got to stop drinking because you're an alcoholic. They don't do a medical diagnosis to find out why. Yeah, that's it. That's what, yeah, not getting to the root of the problem. And it's, it's and, and get back to how hypocritical it is. I went to prison for my first time for weed as a runaway kid selling weed to survive. Now it's legal. I want my yeah. effing money back they seized from me from way back then. Yeah. It's legal now. But, but back to what you're saying. You know, when somebody's afflicted with, 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 with anxiety or with mental issues, and part of that ends up, you know, drugs become a part of that. Self-medicating. Yeah. But no one stops to, no one so stops to ask, what are they the medicating? Problem. We're going to fix the problem <laughs> by sending the kid with ADHD that his parents got divorced. We're going to send him to prison. 
and, and, and help his problems get better. They're going to get worse. You know oh, I mean? yeah, nothing like I mean, you, you become like people you share time and space with. Yes, yes. And if absolutely. you're sharing time and space with a bunch of psychotics, yes. you're not going to get healthy. Illness is more contagious than health. Yes. Last time I looked. So, yeah, that's why I'm saying you can't send people to prison for petty drug crimes and for uh, petty, petty crimes, you know. You just shouldn't do that. No, I mean, say so. Okay, there we go. I'm back. For some reason, my microphone went out. Just a little, we had a rat chew through, uh, <laughs> chew through and probably this, a you know, prison so, guard. So we, uh, we, we sold him out to the northern Mexicans. <laughs> yeah, that was it. It's all a plot. We're going to take a 60-second break. Uh, not a prison break, but just a regular break. We'll be back in 60 seconds on True Crime Uncensored. Is fabulous. Yeah. Who in turn is produced by some lady blonde. 
Lori Downey Jr. Who wouldn't want to be produced by Lori Downey Jr.? Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. Hey, Mr. Longhor. Uh, Langhor. Yes, sir. <laughs> you, you know, just, think of Steve, just think of Stephen King's The Langoliers. The Langolier, Langolier, oh, brother. God, what a horrible. <laughs> so there you were in prison, minding your own business. <laughs> Which is hard to hell to do when you got people trying to knife you or beat you up or... Yeah. Say, how come you don't have any tattoos? What's wrong with you, yeah, son? pretty much, man. <laughs> so, uh, in the middle of all this, how did you d- decide to become a writer? How did you become a famous author when you're sitting in the slammer? Okay, well, um, uh, the 1996 case was a big case, and I took it all to trial. I, and long story short, I had a lot of trial transcripts, and I'd write on the back of them. And I'd wake up at 4 in the morning before the politics of surviving prison life took over, and I'd start writing then. And then I'd deal with prison politics and you, you, you mentioned no tattoos. I, 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 I've never been that trendy, so I kind of went against the grain there. And um, my dad taught me how to fight really well at a young age, so I did all right, and I survived. But I started writing in there at 4 in the morning, and that became my new passion. So I figured I'm going to uh, open the public's eyes, turn everything around. And now all my books I'm doing into audiobook, which is another level of, help, of helping me take my writing further. And I'm getting really blessed and... Uh, now, did you have a book come out while you were still in prison, or did you used to get these published after you got out? I published when I got out. Well, were you surprised by the degree of success? I mean, you've been very successful with this. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Um, you know what? Um, yes, a little bit surprised, because I see so many awesome authors, amazing authors, and they're either not marketing right, or they just weren't as dedicated as enough. They're easily as good a writers, and mine are outselling. And so I, I'm just shocked that I'm outselling you know, I'm, I'm a bestseller in so many categories, so that's very Well, this, nice. the stuff is compelling is, is one reason. Yes, Mark? Um, so you're, you're 12 and you run away. Yes, sir. You end up living in uh, a pot dealer's garage. You get yes. hooked on speed. You're in jail at, uh, what, before you're 18. You're in prison. Yep. You, you, did, you never went to high school. Never went to high school. Uh, never consistently stayed in high school at all. All right, so so I'm 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 wondering, did you take any kind of writing? No, and let me tell you something else too. I could not remember anything I'd read unless it was like Babe Ruth or something that that I liked. I have ADHD. What help? What I'll tell you one thing that prison did help me with is uh, I was stuck on a shelf, forced to read for ten to twelve hours a day, and eventually it slowed my mind down. I started to absorb everything, and I started to see that okay, I can flip what I've been through. Experience with the Hell's Angels, the Mexican mobsters, the cartel, the speed world, the feds, all the all the stuff, the courts, uh, the the lawyers that are. When, when he says feds, he doesn't mean ephedrine. No, <laughs> it could be either way, both of them. Well, or, the or even the or even the, the fake feds, feds, the pseudo feds, <laughs> pseudo pseudo yeah. pseudo feds. Those are guys with fake badges. Yeah, yeah, those are the fake ones. Don't don't mess with the pseudo. That's fake. <laughs> so I, Get I was kind of white veteran. So I was surprised at how articulate your writing was. Thank you. Without an education. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I read a lot. I read a lot, and um, I guess I'm pr- I guess I'm bright in the beginning. I guess I'm a, a genius idiot, ADHD. Yeah, well, I know that because I'll tell you, whoever invented Ritalin and Adderall deserves an award. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I spent so much hey. time wearing holes in carpets, going in circles, until I found that stuff. Right Who would have known that coffee could get me this wire? <laughs> Sober as can be, coffee yeah. could sprack me out. Oh yeah, plus it'll focus you all that caffeine, man. That's the nice thing about being ADHD yeah. is it speed slows you down. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know. Do a whole, now if you were to smoke crack, you'd fall asleep. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's just that initial jolt I liked or something. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Then you nod off. Other people are nodding off from smack. You're nodding off from speed. Yeah. That's how you know they're ADHD. Pretty, exactly. Pretty much. All right. So I would, um, I'd like to talk about shoes. And they're not the ones that you wear. Okay. So uh, I'd like to talk about I talk about how um, how a shoe is used and how it's become more of a uh, an interrogation. Yeah, what is it? What's a, what's a shoe? Oh, the shoe program. Okay, okay. Security housing unit. Security housing unit. So basically, every prison will have uh, a security housing unit. Some prisons will have a hole and a security housing unit, and the shoe is um, segregated housing unit. Security housing unit, and basically they'll—they're all cells, and they're singles. Yeah, they're single cell. No, no, no. You can have two people in a cell. Oh, okay. Two people in a cell. Sometimes at Pelican Bay, they'll single you until you sign a release—a a release clause that you'll allow so and so to come in your cell because during the '90s, a lot of people were killing their cellies. Being, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, being forced to kill their cellies by uh, gang members and stuff. But um, their 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 lifestyle is. 10 hours it's supposed to be, Supreme Court ruled on it, 10 hours of yard a week and three showers a, a week. And that equals just enough uh, punishment that it's not cruel and unusual. Anything less than that's cruel and unusual punishment. And they'll have, like, dog kennels. So if you're doing a shoot term, instead of – you'll either have a mini yard if you're on, like, a lower-level yard, or if you're in a high-level security housing unit, you'll have a, a dog kennel where you just have, like, a run, like a dog run. And that's your yard. Oh, wonderful. Awesome. <clears throat> well, at least you're not in the cell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anything out of the cell is, is, is great. And so 23 hours down, like one day a week will be your yard. Monday will be yard for two hours. Tuesday will be showers. And it takes a process. It's a process of you sticking your hands through a tray slot to get handcuffed after they've stripped you down, you know, lift up your arms, lift up your feet, squat, cough, lift up your nuts. Now we're now stick your hands through the tray slot. They handcuff you. They 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 walk you one on each side to the shower. They put you in the shower. They give you a little mini super small razor that that's not even an inch long that you have to somehow use in the shower for the 15 minutes. And that's your shower day. So that's your yippee. I made it out of the cell. You nod to a few people. If the cops are okay, you ask them, hey, can I get a, a book from cell 113? Something like that. That's your whole day, and then you're back in your cell. Now, if someone has mental illness, they're going to go... Go bonkers. Yeah. Bonkers. Wednesday would be a dead day. That's ICC, Inmate Classification Committee, where they're running hearings to see if they can kick anybody out of the hole or just updates, monthly updates. And so that's a dead day, but every other day would have one of the two, yard <laughs> or, or showers. Sounds horrible. It so sucks. But when you're, you're, you're in there for whatever... I cheated, though. Whatever bogus writing. reason they've thrown you in there for. I was in there many times. Uh, the first time was for a riot over drug debts. Um, I wasn't calling shots on the yard yet, and I knew. And, and so basically, when when there's heroin on the yard or speed on the yard, and somebody's getting high, it looks really good to a lot of the other inmates. And then they'll say, "Oh, I want some," and then they won't pay for it. And then, <laughs> you know, well, that's not right. Yeah. And then so like everybody has to go to war, outnumbered like. 25 to 1 over this guy who couldn't handle his drug habits and the, and the money didn't get sent. Now, how about, are drugs more expensive in prison? Yeah, much more expensive. Like, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but how do you get the money to buy them? I mean, drugs are stupidly expensive on the once, street. Once you, become, once you become a shot caller or an influencer, you start saying no, no uh, cash, no, no mail outs. That's where the money is 
you know, going to going to come from Aunt So and So and come to uh, Mexican Mobster in L.A. and that, no mailouts. Whatever you have on your shelf, you can buy. It's called off the shelf policy. So, yeah. so basically, a hundred dollar limit. And you, so I'll tell the Mexicans, check it out. Uh, there's no mailouts. The hundred dollar max. Uh, there's there's a cosign policy so that nobody can just run up a debt, and then you guys get mad at us. And that guy go off the yard, and now all of us, oh, it's not going to work like that. So, so there's ways to mediate so that once you've gone through enough riots and you start realizing that there's smarter ways to do it, and you hear through the grapevine, well, this is the way they're doing it on this level for yard, and it sounds pretty good. And so you start to communicate with everybody and get it going that way. But that's what you go to the hole for, uh, drug debts, uh, alcohol. You're, making, you're turning uh, juice, fermented juice into wine. You're boiling the wine off into white lightning or vodka. And, you know, people come out all drunk and make, make a, a scene, and it's a race riot. So you, little things like that. Other things, like you guys are mentioning, mental issues where a guy just doesn't know any better, and he's just a wreck. And it, it, it's so territorial in there that you can't walk or sit at the wrong place. And it's just it's, it's kind of predatory. I mean, kind of is probably a well, soft you, word. Yeah, you think that uh, you're not dealing exactly with, you know, the nicest people. No. I mean, you may be a nice guy. Then, All you're doing was, you know, giving drugs to people who want them. Yeah. It's not like you're a criminal. <laughs> and, then, and then the flip side of it is, is unfortunately, violence solves everything. So it's like a matter of respect to, to handle things that pop up quickly and efficiently and violently. And remember how I was mentioning the Mexicans, they don't stop until the block guns are going off just as, uh, you know, just, just so that everybody sees that this is how we get down. Don't mess with us type thing. So it's like that's what rules in there is if you can nip the problems in the bud and handle it with efficient violence, your race will not get messed with. If you don't handle things efficiently and you look like lames or weak, you're going to get pressured, you're going to get bullied, you're going to get extorted, that type of stuff. Well, it sounds to be very, very difficult. Let's say that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, let's say that you have a religious experience while in your cell and, you know, suddenly Moses or Jesus or Abraham or Buddha or whatever it is appears yeah. to you and says, straighten up and fly right. And so you decide to, right? Yeah. Blessed are the peacemakers, <laughs> you, know, all, you know, and all this stuff. And now they go, you got to go kill that guy, son. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this must cause some real it does. problems. It does. Now, if you, if you can have that spiritual awakening and be a badass... That, that's perfect. If, you're, if, if you can't be both, then you know, pray pray a lot in your cell. You know, you know, do everything you can to promote your your new, your new spiritual path. But in the end, you came there for for being uh, for getting convicted of a crime, and there's certain you know ways of living in there that you have to live by. The whole thing is screwed. I mean, the system is. is lamentably defective from whatever angle it is viewed. Exactly. Or it's demented. Or it's mentally lamental. Toward the end of my sentence. I had a lot of influence, and the prison guard, one of the prison guards let us know that we had a child molester with 44 counts of A-N-N-L-Y molest. And he told Ooh. us, and I said, no, well, you're going to have to get us the paperwork. We can't take your word for it. During that period, get killed. Yeah, during that period, one of my little youngster friends, I was reading the paper in Orange County. Um, they did the same thing to him while he was in the county, and they, there was so much pressure on these kids to deal with this supposedly high-profile child molester, and they killed him. And it, the, the, the truth that came out was he wasn't some crazy high-profile child molester. He, he had kitty porn or something. Yeah, it's terrible, but it's not enough to kill the guy over. He, he should have been beat down or whatever, regulated, whatever. But so I was seeing that in the paper, and I'm saying, well, you've got to give us the paperwork. Well, he ended up giving us the paperwork, and it said 44 counts of A-N-N-L-Y slash molest. Uh, for purposes of sentencing, like on the 1st and 15th of every month from, uh, from the – 
uh, 04, 05, 06. That's when, that's when his uh, conviction was for. He made it through Calipatria and New Folsom because he had fake paperwork and he was doing a life sentence. And the old, that's the only reason we found out about him is because the prison guard told us, do you want to clean up any uh, skeletons on the, clo- uh, on the yard? Any, and so, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, great. Yeah, great. Well, so the guys are having you kill people. That's really Yeah, nice. basically, yeah. And the guy got his face chopped, up, chopped off, and he didn't die or anything, but he's... he's Not looking, happy. Yeah, he had a happy face. Oh, God. It's like the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> gets, gets worse by the minute. Uh, uh, people, they, okay, this gap between what we think and what is real... We always talk about taking personal responsibility, that people should know right from wrong, get punished if they do the wrong thing. There was a study, of this is expensive to do, but they did brainwave or CAT scans, uh, you know, MRIs on prisoners in Canada and his research project and found that 84% of the prison population suffered from FASD, which is a brain disorder caused by the mother ingesting alcohol. With FASD, people do not see the consequence of actions. It is a brain disorder where this thing of, like you're supposed to be born knowing right from wrong or knowing the consequences, yeah. it doesn't, in real life, it doesn't work that way. It's yeah. a false construct. And to hold people responsible for something they can't comprehend or their brain doesn't work is insane. Yeah. And what, what happens is, is what our view is of how we deal with people is like from the 19th century... We have 21st century information that contradicts everything we've set up. And instead of doing harm reduction or dealing with problem solving, we try to figure ways of somehow putting a punitive model, like a character defect, on medical conditions. Right. And then you wind up, like you were saying, with these people in prison, go, huh? <laughs> yeah. They still don't get it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I thought it was the Chinese that were putting stuff into our kids' toys that gave me ADHD. But no, you're right. It's like you, you it's, it's, it's a punitive damage that's not fair when you take in all the considerations. A, a victim's already a victim when he can't think properly or react properly. Yeah, the, the whole punitive model actually has been proven repeatedly not to work. In fact, if, if you, the more you punish a liar, the better a liar they'll become, the more they will lie. It's the truth. The more you punish someone for lying, the more they lie. Compassion, grace. The more you reward them for not lying, the less they lie. Yes. But we still are trying Absolutely. to do this. We've got to punish those people. It's got to be this punitive model. Yeah. Got to learn the consequences of their actions. They still don't get it because their brain can't process it. Yeah. Now, I happen to be one of those people that did suffer a brain injury as a child. And I was very lucky in that uh, I was only damaged in certain areas. But one of the areas is I am unable to comprehend, like many people, the any correlation between actions and punishments. I don't see how I can see you lock people up or separate them from society to protect society from them. But I do not see a link between the punishment and the crime as far as it changing the behavior of the individual. And it turns out I've been scientifically validated <laughs> that it doesn't make you penitent. It just makes you pissed off. Absolutely. I agree with you. So, uh... There you are. When now that are you getting any traction from these books? Are, are they being given to any leaders of thought? Are people having started to get some insights into what? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I, I've been very, very blessed uh, to be on the front page of the Orange County Register on the 13th of uh, of December. That was from being able to 
to speak at University of California, Irvine, to a criminal justice professor who read one of my books, interviewed me. So I got to speak as like an expert on criminal justice, prison issues. Um, I'm working with a couple producers right now. Um, one of them for me to play like kind of the role that I, I, I lived through the prison stuff, and it'd be a show where I'd be uh, helping uh, solve crimes. So I'd be on the opposite side of it. And um, another thing I'm doing is I'm working on writing uh, a reality show for... Uh, well, they got that lockdown show that I can't stand to watch on MSNBC, which is all about the prisons, but it never shows how totally and completely corrupt they are. Yeah. <laughs> which is a problem. Because Thank you. That, that, would, that would be counter, counterproductive to yeah, their profit model. Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't uh, let them in there. Okay, uh, the last name is spelled L-A-N-G-O-H-R, Langor, Glenn Langor. He's got, uh, what, seven to ten books out now. All of them... Oh, um, Selling incredibly well. Yes, Mark. Really quick, if uh, people email you, what uh, something great happens? Yeah, I gift out Kindle copies to anybody who can't afford them to r o l l c a l l t a t b o o k at Gmail. So roll call the book at Gmail. Uh, you can find me on uh, Google me Glenn Langor or just Lockdown Publishing one word. Find me on Amazon and Facebook, and I'll get you free copies of the Kindle books. That's fantastic. You get free. Thank you. People love free books. Yeah. <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> yeah, you can as long also as they're not free samples of me narrating them and doing all those prison sounds. Oh, like a boom, boom, get down, get down, <laughs> bing, bing, yeah, bing, down, bing. Get down. Down. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot for being on the show and keep up the great work. Thank you. God you bless. God, God bless, bless you Thank too. You. All right. Nice ne- talking to you. Next week, hey, Anthony Flacco comes back. Uh, the uh, the woman who got uh, rescued by SEAL Team 6. Yeah. Yeah, that whole story. Going to be right here next week on True Crime Uncensored. Next, Magic Bad Allen, Demons of Decadence, including Howard is not here. But Ralph Odeon is here. I, I, I won't be here, though. <laughs> I got to go. I got to go to Glendale.